0: This is The Professor's Corner, a McGuire-Woods series exploring business and legal issues prevalent in today's private equity industry. Tune in with McGuire-Woods partner, Jeff Cockrell, as he and specialists share real-world insight to help enhance your knowledge.
1: Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another segment of The Professor's Corner, where we dive into a little bit more technical, legal, regulatory uh, elements of healthcare private equity investing. And I'm joined by some of my colleagues and others where we, we dive into more nuts and bolts of how to think about some of these elements. In our last segment, I was joined by my partner, David Pivnik, and we were discussing a recent case where a private equity fund itself found itself needing to settle with the government in connection with activities at a portfolio company. And, and those were a little jarring. And we ticked through some of the best practices of how a private equity member of the board of a a platform company should think about compliance, think about their role, and how to mitigate that risk. But David, joining us again, it might be worth spending a little time in thinking about some of the other areas where private equity funds should be mindful of how they can create exposure for themselves uh, as an owner of a a platform company through the things that they do.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. So I mean, obviously, the matter we talked about, again, I appreciate you having me on with you the matter we talked about last time dealt with sort of board involvement and knowledge and understanding of the issue, and not correcting things and instead, you know, moving forward. We've seen a little bit of an increase in activity over the last couple of years, and and still by no means a groundswell, but certainly more activity where the government is, you know, either pursuing claims or has investigated the potential for claims against private equity funds. And I think, you know, it's going to be an important trend to monitor because. Unfortunately, the whistleblower bar is fairly sophisticated and and chases the money. So if they think there's a pathway here, they'll explore it, which is why I think these other areas are worth looking at. So one of the other areas that that we've seen some government interest and some investigations and cases being brought is where the allegation is specific to improper conduct that was done uh, or instigated directly by, or at least allegedly directly by, the PE fund. So, for example, if there is an alleged kickback relationship, and the allegation is it was the private equity fund that issued the tainted payment or that structured the improper relationship, we've seen some activity there. And this came up a couple years ago, the beginning of 2020 specifically. You know, there was a matter where the concern was raised that a certain billing practice had been identified in. Billing and coding audit. It was very nuanced and discreet. And the auditor sort of said to the fund, "You should be refunding these dollars and not billing for these claims for these services going forward." And instead of you know refunding the dollars and proceeding with the refund and the corrective action, there was a discount taken on the transaction price, uh, like a renegotiation on that front. Uh, and an attempt to correct going forward, but the dollars were not refunded back to the government on the back end. And the perception was sort of you leveraged this to your financial advantage in the deal, but didn't make the government whole, which means you benefited from this issue. Those were more direct examples where the fund was sort of directly involved. But I do think it's practical to recognize those concerns and to think about how to navigate them, particularly where, you know, again, if structuring compensation relationships or or transaction dollars, making sure that, you know, you're getting fair market value appraisals done and working with council to make sure that the relationships are vetted and are appropriate. And then similarly, you know, if you're identifying specific concerns, make sure you take appropriate steps to correct those concerns, which oftentimes can be as simple as going forward and making sure, you know, billing and coding audits are done in the future, that improper, you know, claims that were improper are refunded, et cetera, but being cognizant of it both pre and post transaction is important.
1: There's a a spectrum of activity and your description started with kind of direct payments by the private equity fund that I can see. The example you gave where the fund itself profited through purchase price adjustment off of uh, bad actions is kind of similar in the degree of direct engagement by the fund the steps beyond that get a little more nuanced in my mind of the you talk about structuring uh, things in a, if you posit at the outset that the private equity fund is kind of controlling the business, which is a generally correct. not, not that there's degrees of, uh, of engagement, but uh, most middle market funds at least are pretty heavily involved in the the day-to-day decision making, uh, but it's still decision making at the platform are you seeing the government starting to lose that distinction of kind of direct activity by the fund for the fund's benefit and the the fact that the private equity fund has three or five board members and are kind of involved in those decisions and therefore becoming a target themselves? Or is it for now, at least more limited to what feels to be more egregious activity by the fund itself, which those that direct payment and the pricing concession that they just took for themselves seems more egregious on that spectrum. How would you respond to that question on kind of where to seat the exposure on that spectrum?
2: Right now, the cases that I'm seeing, I think, would fit in the latter bucket, where it is either more open and obvious egregious conduct or at least conduct that is perceived by the government as being more egregious and more of a direct involvement on the part of the PE fund as compared to bringing a claim just by virtue of the PE fund being an investor or having board seats or even board control. I'm not, as I, as we talk here, I don't expect frankly the department of justice to lose sight of that distinction either. And I don't think they run their investigations just to locate deeper pockets. So I think, you know, A, I would say I'm seeing it more where it is direct wrongdoing that's at issue. And B, I'm not expecting near-term shift. I do have some concern, as I alluded to a few minutes ago, that because the whistleblower bar is a well-coordinated bar, and I don't think they share necessarily the same high-minded ambitions that the Department of Justice might in terms of rooting out wrongdoers and, and getting at the right sources, I think the whistleblower bar is happier and perfectly fine striking out a deeper pocket. I worry that distinction may be lost on them, and there could be some you know, keyam cases that are brought with multiple defendants, frankly, improperly, and that will be able to land and navigate, but are still going to cause time and money to be spent on the defense in the interim.
1: Under the kind of key TAM rules, a key tam, uh whistleblower plaintiff uh, in in theory could cast a broad net is the idea? That's correct. They, they can control their case. And so you know
2: we've seen lots of cases that that we've worked on where one a whistleblower brings a claim against the entity defendant and there's one target and that's it. We've seen others where owner individual owners are named, individual executives are named, the private equity fund might be named, and oftentimes there isn't a lot by way of allegations in the complaint other than, you know, John Smith owned in Business X or this company invested and because they invested $50 million, they had a strong interest to make sure the underlying company succeeded and was profitable. That's obviously, there's nothing illegal or improper about that, and you know those those ones tend to be easy to defend because they can't point any wrong do it, but I think there's an increased risk, not that the DOJ will start bringing tenuous claims like that, but that the whistleblower bar and whistleblowers might because they're happy to sort of cast, as you put it, cast a broad net, see where things land, hope they can get to discovery and might learn something that bolsters what was otherwise a somewhat frivolous allegation.
1: Is one way to think about when a uh, company is making decisions that are truthfully on a gray scale, where you've got lighter gray progressing to darker gray in kind of a legal and regulatory analysis, um, that as people's comfort level, whether that's uh, with advice of counsel or their assessment of how other people are viewing this, but as you move into kind of darker shades, which that's the nature of a of a continuum on that spectrum. As you move into darker shades of gray, uh, are you also progressively increasing the risk as an owner in that calculus, or is that not exactly the right way to think about
2: it? I think that's in some ways correct. I think the darker the shade of the gray, the more likely that it's going to be conduct that ends up coming under scrutiny generally, which means it's more likely that as an owner, you could get swept up in an investigation relating to it. I think the more direct cause and effect and risk is the higher the level of engagement and involvement that the owner, the PE fund, the board members have in structuring, approving, or promulgating the arrangement as it gets into the darker shades of gray. So I think, you know, the the, the worst you know, positioning, the the worse the relationship is or the arrangement is from a legality standpoint, the more general risk there's going to be, which means everyone has an increased risk spectrum. But I think the more, for it to really be more of an increased risk for the private equity fund or for the board, it it needs to be more about their involvement and their level of connectivity and connective tissue to the actual uh, conduct at issue.
1: Well, thank you again for uh, joining me for another segment of The Professor's Corner. Uh, Again, we're tackling uh, the narrower topics of a regulatory and technical variety a little bit more deeply. There'll be more of these to come, and we uh, hope it's helpful for everyone, and we'll see you on the next installment.
0: Thank you for joining us on this installment of The Professor's Corner. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Jeff Cockrell at gcockrell at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.